Hey folks, welcome to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. I'm Sean Windsor. Somewhere out there is Carlos Menares, and uh, this is our second episode of this podcast. Is is my math right, Carlos? Is is that right? Are we on number two already? You know what, Sean? I'm a sports writer. Don't ever ask me to do math, so whatever you say is good with me. Yeah, but I'm a sports writer too, or at least a part-time sports writer, and I mean, what the heck, man? We can't add up one plus one. In any case, we're glad... Uh, you're here with us today. We've got uh, several interesting topics, mostly because Carlos chose them. We've got a, a special guest in uh, Jamie LaRue, who covers autos and lots of other uh, interesting business stuff that relate to autos for the Detroit Free Press. Uh, we're going to talk about, I don't know what, Matthew Stafford, maybe winning the MVP and the Los Angeles Wims are in the, winning the Super Bowl and how upset uh, uh, and how frustrating that makes Carlos. We're going to probably have to put him on the couch. And uh, give him a little therapy and let him work through that. I don't know if he can or not. But uh, we're going to start with, Carlos, unless you want to tell me something else about your weekend, how you're doing, what's going on, what you're angry at. Any, any quick thoughts? You know, Sean, I'm tired from the weekend. I had an enjoyable Labor Day weekend, four-day weekend for me, actually. But that was not your circumstance. I believe you had a little more of a interesting, challenging weekend. Is that right? Uh I'm tired, man. I, I'm not. I don't know. I mean, this is kind of lame and pathetic to admit, but uh, man, I flew to Chicago Friday. Was up all night. Come back to to Michigan Stadium. Back to back games. Opening college football weekend. I know what you're going to say. You're going to think it's all about. Well, go ahead and say it. What's it? What's it really about? Sean eats his way through the Big Ten. Oh my goodness. That's just mean, man. I mean, I know you're mean, but uh, you're probably nice to everybody else, except your readers. But uh, Oh, tell me I'm wrong. Dude, I went there because it was uh, the opening of college football weekend. Because Michigan State has a second-year coach and has a lot of his own players. All right? And I wanted to see what that looked like. You know, I mean, I, I've been to Chicago plenty of times over uh, the last 20, 30 years. I don't need to go there to eat my, 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 my brother. Come on, man. Oh, well, well, let me. Can I can I read you a quote? Yeah, yeah. All right. What's this from? What's this from? <clears throat> this is or a, just it's out of context. It's out of context. Let's see if you recognize the quote. Like your columns. <clears throat> yes, exactly like my columns. Let's see if you recognize it. All right. The writing's the writing's not as good, but but bear with me. It's just a <laughs> sentence here. Among the things to do for a living, writing about games and traveling to write about them seems far from the bottom of interesting and enviable things to do. Basically, do you, does this sound familiar to you, Sean? It does, because I didn't want to come across as a, an ingrate, mm-hmm. which I'm not. And that was part of the experience is, is what I learned. Not what I learned, but maybe uh, relearned. How about that? Or was reminded of. Is that, is that a better way to put yes. it, Carlos? Yes, reminded. Yes. By, by this experience. No, in all, in all seriousness, yes, I did have some, some pretty good food. Yes, I did get to uh, be on the road with a, a, good, a good friend of mine who's a Michigan State writer for a competitive newspaper. Happens to be in our building, Carlos. Can you guess? I have no idea who you're... There's only one paper in Detroit, Sean. You and I both know that. Okay, and it's not the Free Press? It is the Free Press. Of course it's the Free Press. Is that what you're saying? Okay, no, we, we shouldn't say that about our, our the people that employ us, should we? No. No, I think it might be the Detroit News. Last, I mean, I haven't been down there in a while, but last I knew or last I saw, they shared a building with us. Anyway, their their beat writer uh, and I were together on the road uh, 10, 12 years ago covering Michigan State basketball, and it's something we kind of like to to do before a game. We try to go grab a bite to eat at an interesting local place, and so that's what we did in Chicago 
at a place called Smoke. And I, yes, I had some barbecue, Carlos, but no, I was there for the work, man. Come on. You were there for the experience. I was there for the work, the for the football. The experience. The football. You were there to write about the experience, the whole thing. I was, but you just said it. I was there to write. Okay, fine. So I shoveled some bread pudding in my mouth. <laughs> I mean, you know. No, but in, in all seriousness, it was uh, it was a whirlwind, but it was – I flew in the afternoon, Was uh, went to smoke with, with Matt Charbonneau, I had that experience. We've been there before. It's a great – I think the best ribs in, in the city. And, uh, you know, I know it's not Memphis, St. Louis, Kansas City, whatever, lots of places in Texas. But um, – but it's quite, quite good. So we went from there up to Evanston, Illinois, to watch uh, and write about Northwestern Michigan State and see Mel Tucker in his uh, second season debut. And they opened it. They look quite good, by the way. All, all those transfer players, I, I think, make make it make a difference. So anyway, did that, wrote a game column, got back to the hotel in the middle of the night, I don't know, 3 o'clock or so, Carlos. A couple hours of sleep, got up, went to the airport, flew back, drove straight to Michigan Stadium to take in that atmosphere and that ambiance and then write about the whole experience and carlos i'm not uh i'm not 28 anymore uh I'm, i might still be feeling it is that pretty pathetic i don't think you're 38 anymore no that's <laughs> no no man i mean we're just getting old i mean i i if i stay out past 10 p.m these days it's it's kind of a little bit of a minor miracle so all the traveling and i i think you and i are a little different i don't love traveling for work uh you know vacation traveling is is fine Work travel is different. It's just you got to be certain places, certain times. Your schedule is really not your own. I mean, I, I think you're great and that you you make it enjoyable, as enjoyable as you can. But I'm I'm kind of more of a room service kind of guy. I just want to I want to keep keep the stress down and, and all that all that problem with travel and cabs or whatever it is, lifts and all that. So uh, I applaud you, Sean, for for going out, hanging out with colleagues and having an experience. Well, it's just been so long, Carlson. Let me let me tell you a, a rule my mother always had. And um, well, my father was in the military, so we grew up all over the place, and or they were stationed all over the place. And she grew up sort of longing to travel. She was a little town in Indiana, didn't really get to go anywhere. So when she got out, got to college, she first in her family to go to college, Ball State, in Indiana, and she'd studied French in college and used that language experience, and then just sort of rode the winds all over the globe the rest of her life. And but she had a rule, Carlos. That uh, if she were someplace and she had somebody she loved within a four-hour drive or cared a lot about, she'd go see him. And I have used, I don't want to say used, but I've been able to, I've been fortunate because I've been able to travel for this job. And I travel a little bit in my previous newspaper job, even in Alabama when I would go, I did the same. I followed that rule. And it's allowed me to keep in touch with people that you would never otherwise do. And I don't do it maybe quite as much. And obviously COVID shut all that down for a while. And I not as ambitious in terms of driving as far you know i've cut that rule down to probably two and a half to three hours but uh it's it's i mean i feel grateful for that to be honest with you so that's that's part of it carlos it's 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 partly that but also i'd like the experience of seeing other places and even in sports other fan bases other other teams just seeing how they they operate in their space. I've always been fascinated by that. Oh yeah, yeah, no, that that's awesome. I mean, I, you know, and, and it's funny, Sean, because it, like you know, being completely different from that. When I travel, and if I'm near, you know, especially I'm from California, I'm from Los Angeles, and if anybody ever hears my friends or or relatives here that I'm in town for work, they always extend the invitation. But it's like you drive to come see me, you know, and and it's like, well, I'm I'm working. So it's a little hard to get in my car and drive two hours round trip or three hours, whatever it might be. And 
And so there's always an, a little bit of a, an expectation or a, you don't want to disappoint people, I guess. Um, so I, I really applaud you for that because that, that's, that's a lot of effort to be driving several hours during a work trip. So that's a cool thing that your mom taught you. I wish, I wish I'd had that kind of fortitude to, uh, to do that more often. Well, I would, I would like to tell you, I, I, I have slowed down a little bit. I mean, I'm trying to think of a good example. So, for example, I used to, when I was on the road with the Tigers a lot, a decade ago and Kansas City was a place I went to a couple times this summer and I have family in Omaha Nebraska which is about two and a half hours north so I would you know you you go in the day before when you're going for any event really almost always although I didn't with Chicago on this last trip because it was a night kickoff but normally you're in the day before so I would go early enough and I'd drive up to Omaha and back I had one of the, the guys stood up next to me when I got married lives in Austin Texas whenever I go to Dallas for the Cowboys Lions or or whatever I've been out there for bowl games the Cotton Bowl I fly actually in and in and out of Austin, so I get in early the day before and hang out, and then drive up the next morning to Dallas and do the work, and then drive back and fly out. So, you know, you can figure out ways that don't cost any more money, and you can kind of work it in. And yeah, it's 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 something I've been uh, very very privileged to do. It's nothing like the one my my mother when my son was born. My oldest son, I don't know, back in the he was born in '97. My mother was living in uh, Sao Paulo in Brazil by herself for work. And she came back, she had to come back to Michigan where her corporate headquarters was every six to eight weeks. And she would route her flight through Huntsville, Alabama. How, imagine how that is getting from Sao Paulo, Brazil to Huntsville, Alabama, right? Because <laughs> she wanted to see her, her grandbaby. And, um, and that's how my son got to know, and one of the reasons they were so close. And then my second son was born, it was the same. And I remember just thinking, I can't, you know, because she was probably older than I am now. Maybe maybe my age now. I just remember, God, how do you how are you doing that, right? But that's just how she was. So I feel like a blob next to that. In any case, I guess let's let's just get back to the to the weekend real quick. I was there for the whole experience. You're right, not just the food, my man. You believe me? I do. I do. I, I know you love college college sports, um, and it, it is great. And it's, it's especially because we haven't been able to go to the tailgates and experience the fans. Um, and, and what was the what was the, the difference to you between the you know being at Ryan Field and Evanston with a lot of Michigan State fans versus the Big House with hundred hundred thousand plus uh, students there at Michigan? Um, comparing Michigan Stadium to Ryan Field. Carlos, obviously, I mean, twice twice the amount of people at Michigan Stadium, so there's that. Um, the, the the thing about Ryan Field is Northwestern's been pretty good the last few years, so they have a, a nice fan base, relatively speaking, but it's still a small private school, and they were, I don't know, they don't fill up the stadium, and I would bet half the people there, and I don't know how many people were there, 40,000, 50,000 probably, Half the people there uh, were Michigan State fans. They travel where they're. The Michigan State is a huge alumni base in Chicago. And it, it, the, the loudest noise would come from the green and white section. Like, for example, when Northwestern missed missed a couple field goals, that's how I knew because I could hear the, the Spartan crowd going crazy. But it was uh, the tailgating, and it's a nice leafy neighborhood that the stadium's kind of sitting in, and they're just tailgating in and among the neighborhood and then the parking lots next to it and that was just really nice to see. Michigan Stadium, you know, 109,000 people. Carlos, I felt like people were happy to be there. It was maybe a tiny bit subdued compared to how it's been in the past because I think we're still trying to figure out our way out in our public spaces. But I sensed uh, sort of joy and some gratitude and just th- this idea of community that surrounds uh, tailgating in college football. 
Yeah, I really, I really do. I, I, I miss that atmosphere. Um, and it, you know, in the NFL, it's a little bit different. But we've talked about this before with opening day for baseball, how it compares, and uh, you know, not quite the same thing. But that celebration, you know, coming together, sharing food, sharing memories, stories, all that stuff, uh, it, it means so much, you know. And we've we've truly missed it as a as a sports community in Detroit. Well, no, we absolutely have, and I think everyone did. I mean, I heard coaches talking about it. The players really really miss it there were some so- i want to say sophomores at the university of michigan a couple of them we, we talked to after the game that had never seen never played in front of fans at the collegiate level and got to experience the big house for the first time and we're just kind of blown away by that right so that was really that was really fun for them and then and then i felt like reporters journalists bloggers who were who were there all, all the folks that are involved in this these days I, I, they missed it. I talked to several of them. Right? They were they were happy to be back in a in a press box, looking out over a sea of people going down, trying to get to the uh, the locker rooms for post game. Not the locker rooms, but the, the press conference areas from the post game. You know, working through a, a wedge of people, kind of fighting your way through. That was maybe something you didn't enjoy before, but it was kind of welcoming. I mean, I I actually liked that, Carlos. I I guess I didn't realize how much I missed. Fighting through the crowd, being in cramped, sweaty little rooms in college stadiums for post game interviews, and having the, the players and coaches right there, it was uh, it was really kind of grand in a way. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's it's and I've written about this a little bit, and you know, going to the Lions preseason game, one of one of the two, uh, you just forget how much fans are part of that experience, even for even for old sports writers like us and. You know, putting up with the travel and dealing, you know, with uh, lines and security and all the stuff. And uh, but the fans really do add this electricity to the whole experience, this this uh, this vibe that you just don't get. You know, it was weird. It was weird not having fans in in big stadiums uh, last year. So it's it's going to be a welcome return for for having those people back and and adding so much more to the games. Absolutely, and 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 for college football in particular, right? We, we you mentioned opening day. I think it's uh, this idea of community and in, in, in cooking, and and obviously you know you're there. To, a lot of people like to drink too and and share that, but you you share food and the camaraderie, and it's just uh, it's an all day event. Um, and you know, you, there are other parts of our society we we base you know concerts sometimes, you know that kind of thing where you kind of have that you, you're mixing entertainment with a form of camping. <laughs> which is kind of what tail, which is kind of what tailgating is in a way, right? And then, and then also, you know, cook cooking out, and you mix all that together, and you're, you know, so many college stadiums are in neighborhoods or at least next to neighborhoods in a way that pro pro stadiums aren't, right? And I think that adds to it too. Um, so anyway, it was just it was great to be a part of that. I was uh, fortunate enough to to get the assignment to kind of capture, try to capture some of that. Um, from all these different angles of of why we've missed that and and why it's so uh, nice to have it back. Yeah, and you get you get to do it for several more weeks now. Looking forward to the the whole fall winter. Yeah, no, for sure. Especially if the team, you know, especially if uh, well, with Michigan, it's kind of you know we follow them regardless. Well, we we do, we do both schools. We write about both schools. We treat them equally. But the the better they are, the more interest they is. The 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 more we're out there on the road, especially right. You know how this works. I mean. This is this is a business, and we've tailed off toward the end of these seasons the last couple of years as the teams have struggled. So I'm looking forward to that too. I, plus, when they're good, 
you know, you just, there's it's more readers. It's more fun to write about, right? Carlos, how, how often can you keep ripping people? You're talking to somebody who's covered the Lions for more than 15 years, and you're telling me about how fun it is to write about winning teams. Is that what you're really asking me? Yes. Okay. Yes. You had a little okay, bit of a, be sure. you had a little bit of an experience there, didn't you? No. No, there were like three no. seasons where they were like they weren't horrible. And you've for, and you've forgotten them already. It's been a long okay. time, and I'm old, so I have a bad memory now. Well, I'm old too, but we're we're not too old to know that. Uh, we still have a couple more things we want to discuss here, and we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. My name is Kerry Jr. The second. I'm a podcast producer and reporter with the Detroit Free Press, and now the host of Freep's new weekly podcast, On the Line. Our job is to understand the issues and the people that the issues affect in our state and region and tell the news. I want Detroiters, I want Michiganders, I want Metro Detroiters to hear themselves and maybe get a sense of peace in this podcast. Maybe not in the topics we're covering, but in the sense that we're the Detroit Free Press. And you can come here to know what's happening and trust that we're going to tell the truth, give you the facts and do it authentically. We're going to give you the voices that are in those areas, whether it be in Owasso, whether it be in Petoskey, whether it be in Birmingham, Warren, Gross Point, Southwest Detroit. You know, we're going to give you what it sounds like to be there. So every Friday in your feed, wherever you get your podcast, when you press play, we want this podcast to sound like home. We want it to sound like Michigan. We want it to sound like Detroit. I think that's all I got. So let the journey begin. Welcome back, folks. Let's see if we can get through a a section without Carlos tearing into me, making fun of my, my food habits. Or my sports views, or something. Or I don't know. Maybe not. It, uh, maybe Carlos. The best way to do this is to change subjects, get out of the sports world, and uh, and and bring in our guest and talk about uh, the fine foreign article she wrote about the future of Cadillac and the future of the car business and, and probably the future of the world. It's all hinging on it. Uh, how about how about you introduce her, Carlos? Yeah, this is this is uh, Jamie LaRue's big story on the Cadillac Lyric, the um, EV SUV that Cadillac's coming out with. It'll, I think it'll be on sale next fall. So it's a you know great story that Jamie did. She talked to the the important people who were behind the production of the vehicle. And the thing that really caught my attention in the story is Jamie had this one line, and she wrote, "There's no other vehicle more important to Cadillac's future right now than this one." That's a big statement, you know, and I, and I think that EVs, they, they obviously seem like the future of, of cars, of vehicles. And I'm curious, just there's so much almost uh, mysticism behind this car. We've heard about it a lot. If you follow the auto news and the free press or elsewhere, there's just a lot of excitement about this. It's kind of shrouded a little bit in mystery. Even the photos were kind of like ethereal. Couldn't really see what you were seeing, maybe. Couldn't believe your eyes. So I want to ask Jamie about this. Like, why is it so important to the future of Cadillac? right now well carlos um good to be here and yeah it was fun to see that car and the reason it's so important is because it is the first electric vehicle in cadillac's lineup and cadillac has been deemed by general motors to be the first of its brands to go all electric and the goal is that cadillac will be all electric by the end of the decade every vehicle in the lineup will be an EV. So this is the first one. And the designers and the engineers have said, you know, pay attention to the design cues here because these are most likely going to be the same types of design elements that you're going to see on the vehicles that follow. 
Um, and you know, I mean, if you're going to take the brand to, to an all electric place, you better hope it's going to work out because <laughs> if it doesn't, there goes the brand and Cadillac is General Motors luxury brand. It has struggled to compete in the past against the Germans. Um, the BMWs, the Mercedes Benz, um, it still does. Uh, and this is critical. This move is what's going to define it and determine its fate. So the, the question I have is why why start with a whole new car, a whole brand new car we don't know anything about? Like Ford does it, but they do the Mach E, and it's but it's the Mustang Mach E. So it's it's kind of like a Mustang, but it's got that sort of brand loyalty, I guess, that you have built in. Why not do it with the Escalade, you know, or one of the the sports sedans, I guess, um, to begin with, like a whole new car. It seems like you're you're starting from zero that way, and why do it that way versus having an established, you know, I guess brand already like the Escalade and making that the first EV? I think because they want to make a statement, um, and they want to be able to take those new design elements and put it eventually on an electric version of the Escalade. Um, there's another vehicle uh, that's going to be electric for Cadillac called the Celestique. That is going to be a hand-built flagship sedan, and it's already designed. No one's seen it, but (laughs) those design cues are what they used in the Lyric. So you can see that they're. I think what they're trying to do is kind of build up these electric vehicles alongside the gasoline vehicles that are still the big money makers. I mean, Escalade is a huge, huge profit maker that sells for an average over $100,000. So, you know, that they don't want to jeopardize that brand yet, um, but they want to slowly introduce the luxury customer to switching over to electric vehicles. So it's a balancing act. Remember, we've still got to get the infrastructure you know, going all EV is going to require a big change in infrastructure as well. And so it's one of those things where I think GM's trying to get people's attention, but ease them into it. And when you're talking about infrastructure, you're talking about charging stations, that kind of stuff? Yes. Uh, Other than infrastructure, Jamie, it seems to me that part of this too is just psychological. The, um, you know, as, as car companies try to get us to make this leap, not necessarily in the performance of the car, but just maybe it does relate to that infrastructure, but just this idea that you're out there and you run out of power or how long are you going to be charging and where can you plug in? And do you think as the infrastructure changes that that will help that, that psychological hurdle? Well, I think, you know, one of the things that GM has is the Altium LLC, the Altium platform, and that's going to underpin all of their new vehicles. And that platform is critical because it allows them to put more batteries and reconfigure batteries in in a different and unique way that can get more power and more range for the vehicle. Um, In the case of the Lyric, it's 300 miles on a full charge. And if you use the Type 2 charger, which is the fast charger, you can get 56 miles in under an hour of charging. And that's all because of that Altium platform. So that's going to underpin all their vehicles going forward. And that's really critical because it is supposed to relieve some of the range anxiety that customers have had in the past. 
Um, and, and, you know, like in my article, I talked about all the different things that they did to reduce um, drag and aerodynamic and improve aerodynamics on the vehicle so that they can get even just a little bit more range if they have less drag. So it's, it's really interesting how the designers designed it so that they can get even just an extra mile of range out of it. <laughs> no, that, that, that was, I love that part. I mean, it, it, Carl's is right. It's a great piece and a fascinating piece. And I, I love that part of the article because I, I'm kind of a, uh, I love planes and, and flight and drag and all that. But the idea that the wheels were, were not mimicking uh, the blades in a jet fan or in a jet, but sort of similar principle that even the wheels are going to help push air back as the car gets going. I thought, I thought that was really cool. I mean, and why not? Right. Right. Yeah. They, they kind of had to do all that kind of stuff because like, like they said, any little thing that adds to that range is critical. And, um, you know, they had the ability to do that and work with engineers to create, it's almost functional design too. Like when you look at the grill, um, they designed that where it's a translucent paint and that allows them to put their Super Cruise hands-free driving technology into the front of the car so that the radar can co- go through the paint but still see clearly. And, you know, it's just they had to technologically paint at certain levels and use lasers to, to get it right so that the radar will work. But, yeah, it would still look artistic and you know, it's open to interpretation if you think it's beautiful or not. I've had some readers that will have written to me and said it's ugly and they hate it. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, with car design, that's all subjective. Well, here, here's my question, right? It's going to it's going to start at about sixty thousand um, dollars. And when I think about it, EVs, I don't I don't have an EV, but and, and the whole range anxiety is real. But if something if you put something in front of me, that's cool. If you give me a Tesla with ludicrous mode or you get the the new hummer that looks amazing and it's going to be an ev i don't know if i'm really going to care about range or like if this thing's cool i want to sit in it i want to go fast i want to have fun who does the lyric who is it going to appeal to is it a fun car is it a a a floaty cadillac who who who's the market for this well the market is actually the it's considered an suv so it's the market is actually a family You know, they were talking to me about taking your kids to college in it and being able to pack all their stuff in the back. And there's still going to be a rear view camera so you can still see behind you, even if you've got the whole back filled up with your kids stuff for college. So it's definitely targeted to a family um, and it's got the space in the room for that. A lot of cargo room, a lot of um People can sit comfortably throughout it. I think it's seated five, as I recall. Um, so, but it's fast. I didn't get to drive it. That was a prototype that they showed us. But the engineers who were there and have driven it said, you know, it's a really fun car, really fast car to drive. You know, it's it's not it's not a small sporty type. Tesla looking car. I mean, it's when you look at it in person, it looked to me more like a wagon because it is lower and longer. Um, but GM considers it an SUV because of its ground clearance and some of the cargo space. So they're they're calling it an SUV, but they admitted to me that the lines are blurred. You could actually call it a wagon. 
So picture it, you know, think of it that way. It's a really cool, really advanced, really fast, very luxurious <laughs> wagon. I don't know if Cadillac's going to like that, are they, if you're calling it a, wa- <laughs> a really cool high-tech wagon? Well, I mean, I, I, that's just my opinion. that I, That's what it looks like to me, but I understand yeah. why they qualify it as an SUV and why they call it an SUV. I get it. I just, when I first walked in, just because of the length... And, and it's got like this lower to the ground proportions. It just looked that way to me. That's my opinion. Well, Jamie, I know we only have you, uh, you, you have to get, we only have you for a, a couple of more minutes here, but, but I, I'm curious, obviously they, I mean, they're, they're doing a sedan also, but they're starting with the SUV. It's what we see everywhere. I'm still kind of an old holdout, I guess. I, I drive a, a sedan partly for the mileage, although I know mileage, mileage is getting better in SUVs because I have to drive a lot, but I just feel, I don't know if you sense this. I'm not sure what you drive, Jamie, but I've talked to Carlos about this. I feel like a, like a a shrimp, you know, kind of over overpowered out on the, on the roads, just every year, the ratio of sedan to sedan to SUV. And and the last year or so I've, I don't, maybe it's just coming out of pandemic where there was no traffic and all of a sudden we're back to traffic and I've forgotten. Oh yeah, that's right. America's all about SUVs now. Is that it? Or is the sedan dying or dead or just about? I don't know. I hope not because I like sedans. And I, I, I drive, well, I have a mini. So mine's like a four-door little thing. It's, um, but I don't have the tiny coupe. I have a four-door Clubman. I love those. Yeah, I like it. But, you know, I agree with you. It's really hard when you're driving around, especially in the highway. And it's like all trucks all around you. Um, so I hope I hope it's not the death of the sedan. I mean, there's still um, Cadillac, you know, sports sedans that are available, and the Celestique that I mentioned earlier, I believe, is going to be a sedan. They haven't shown it to anyone yet, but that was sort of the insinuation. So um, I don't think it's completely dead. I hope it's not completely dead. And you know, as we switch to electric vehicles, I don't know. Who knows? If, 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 if the sedan may make a comeback or not. Seems like some people do enjoy the SUV because it's up higher. You know, you've got the cargo space. It, maybe it's easy to get in and out of. So No, for, no, for sure. And, but the thing of it is, it's, a, it's, it's not quite a self-fulfilling prophecy, but maybe you don't love an SUV, but you want to be, it's, and you didn't care about being up higher because you were at the same level. Well, now, if you're not in an SUV, you're not up higher, so... You want to be a pirate? I don't know. It's just, it's just, yeah. It's we're at this really interesting point. I know Ford stopped making the Fusion. I mean, if Honda and Toyota start making the stop making the Accord and Civic and Camry, and what Corolla, I guess, would be the equivalent. Then, uh, then we'll know, right? I guess we will. <laughs> Let's hope that doesn't happen. I, I like yeah. I say, I still like my own a car. That's just me. Well, that's me too. What about you, Carlos? You probably like an F-150. I like my SUV, Sean, because I can look down on you as I pass you on the freeway all the time. So that's, that's why I keep that. The SUVs is just, just lording it over you. You like to look down on all of us. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I know. I know. Yeah, spe- mostly you, Sean. Well, thank you. Well, uh, Carlos, thanks for thanks so much for reaching out to Jamie. Jamie, it's it's great to have you here. I know you got to run. Yeah, it was um, fun. Thanks. And, yeah, no, and we'll we'll have you again down the road, and we'll we'll try to figure we'll try to figure out where this whole car business is going again. Okay, <laughs> sounds good. All right, folks, that was Jamie Larue, our, our our terrific auto one of our uh, part of our auto coverage, right, Carlos? She's part of a team. The Free Press does a, a great job with that. It's uh, 
Are you okay, Carlos? By the way, because we didn't talk sports for this section. I want to make okay. sure you're all right. I'm okay, I'm, I'm here. I'm here with you, son. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm feeling I good. Because if it's not baseball, are you are you engaged? I mean, you might be napping over there. Oh, I have a I have a big finish today planned. So you gotta you gotta stay stay tuned for that for my favorite thing, big finish. You have a big okay. Well, before we get to the next section, or uh, I guess apparently Carlos's big finish, let's take a quick break. I'm Alyssa Robinson for the Detroit Free Press. When you wake up every morning, what's the first thing you do? Check your email? Me too. And when you sign up for our daily briefing newsletter, you'll get all the latest news sent directly to your inbox so you can wake up and be ready for the day. We also have newsletters about COVID-19 in Michigan, the latest entertainment headlines, as well as Woodward 248, a newsletter specifically for people living and working in Southeast Oakland County. And don't forget about automotive headlines and all the latest news from our Michigan sports teams. We have a newsletter for every personality and preference. Just head to freep.com forward slash newsletters to sign up for any one of these great options and more. Welcome back to the Free Press Sports Show. You know what? I'm just going to start seeing show. This is our show. We can do we we. I think you're going to need Carlos, therapy. You need some, therapy on this. We've got to have some power here. We have no power. We're oh sports my writers. God, I feel I I feel like I, I maybe it's just me and about I'm imagining a chalkboard with a bunch of people in short sleeve button down collared shirts, right? Trying to do algorithms about what to call this. Mm, I'm gonna watch my mouth here. What to call this show? Okay, fine. Welcome back, folks, to the Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. There, I did it. Okay, my corporate obligations are uh, checked for right now. Congratulations. No, thank you very much. Okay, my man, you you got some truth you want to spill here. As a Los Angeles, you know, God, not a, that's probably too corny. As a Los Angeles native, right? You saw the great Peter King, longtime Sports Illustrated NFL writer, say that the Los Angeles Rams were going to win the Super Bowl, and Matthew Stafford is going to win the MVP. What say you? Oh, boy. Uh, well, I want to know what say you, but I, but just to lay it out there, yeah, Peter King writes Football Morning in America for NBC and uh, sports and, uh, you know, really plugged in writer. If you, if you follow the NFL, you know who Peter King is. Yeah, enough about uh, Peter King. Yeah. Mom. Tell us what you think. Come on. Well, okay, he says, first, let's, let's break it down. MVP, he says Matthew Stafford is going to win the MVP over – Two other quarterbacks, Josh Allen from the Bills and Tom Brady from the Bucks. All right. Offensive player of the year, he says it's going to be Matthew Stafford over Dalvin Cook from the running back from the Vikings, 1,500 yards rushing last year. Nick Chubb, Browns, 1,900 yards from scrimmage last year for, for the, uh, I said for the Browns, running back. And he says. Okay, yeah. Do you have any more numbers? You, do you have any more numbers? One more number. and Because these you are all support with, please. I want to bore you with one more number. Super Bowl LVI in L.A. SoFi Stadium, the new Rams stadium. Stafford's going to lead the Rams to a 33-24 victory over Buffalo. By the way, I, I, props to Peter King for actually giving a score, not just who's going to win, but a score. So they're going to win by by a little more than a touchdown. So all this, I mean, I, I, I just I just don't know. And if you read the whole thing, he writes about, you know, he he's basing it on going to training camp all over the league and talking to different coaches, to people, you know, insiders, blah, blah, blah. And he just says he just gets a vibe from the from the Rams that this is a different era. He said, you know, with Sean McVay, like Goff was his student and Stafford feels more like a peer 
they're in sync. You know, he, he all these just great things about Stafford, right? What's really going on, man? Come on, I don't know what's going on. Just sp- spill the beans. To, no, with you, what's going on? Is somebody gave Stafford some love and you you can't take it? What's what's happening? I, I it's just been. It feels like the Rams have been a Matthew Stafford commercial since he got there, and I understand they see him as the savior and all that, but it's just this. Uh, it's almost like a rehearsed commercial, it feels like, for Stafford. Of all these great things, all these, you know, I, I, you know how it is, Sean, right? In the business, you know, especially the more high profile you are, people want to slip you a little bit of intel, a little bit of, hey, you, you know, just so you know, it's not coming from me, but Stafford's done this. You know, he's mentored uh, Sony Michelle. He's on his off day, you know, all these little things. And sometimes you got to be a little judicious about, like, you know, is that is it is it real is it are they making more of it than should be made more of it we don't know anything you don't want to you don't want to see him win well, the game again ever ever do you well let me ask you this everybody says all lions fans say oh stafford was a good soldier he did his stuff whatever and the narrative obviously is you know he wasn't surrounded by enough talent or whatever however you want to spin it fine but when it comes down to it is it not going to feel like watching your ex-boyfriend or ex-girlfriend go off and have a fabulous life without you and you're here in the beginning of a rebuild you know watching loss after loss losing streak after losing streak it's going to be hard when this really if this plays out this way it how hard is it going to be for a Lions fan I don't know I mean after watching how a lot of Tigers fans celebrated Justin Verlander winning the World Series in Houston how did you feel about that or because you love baseball and don't have anything against Verlander you're okay with it well, it was different because Verlander played in the World Series with the Tigers. You know, I mean, he he did what he needed to do, and they they were going to rebuild, and they had to trim, you know, uh, salary and all that. It, it wasn't quite the same. I mean, you know, Stafford asking for a trade. It, it's a different circumstance, but just that they they won nothing. I mean, he was zero and three in the playoffs. No, no, nothing, nothing great that you could point to. Nothing, no, no amazing season. He had the one year with 5,000 yards that's kind of about it can uh can well well uh, before I give my answer about what I think the, the how the fans will react if he has a lot of success I, I I want you to come take a seat on the couch here for a sec can we do that yeah yeah can we, can, can we break down the, the Carlos Menara's psyche here just for a second yeah is this in any way related not related to but is it is this because you feel like the national love he's getting the national media love Stafford's gotten this offseason. And, and like you, you're talking about, you, you're wondering how, how real it is. And the higher you even drop the, the idea that the higher up you are in, the, in this business, the more intel you get thrown your way. You question that intel. But, but anyway, does the national love and the way they're going about the Rams and, and Stafford in particular, what he's going to do for them, does it make you feel invalidated at all? Because they're not. Like it's like they're wiping off everything you've written and said about <laughs> 10, 11 years here, right? So, is is that what's really going on? Is this somehow negating your your uh, your identity in some way? You're like, you know what I said? What I said about Matthew Stafford, and that's how it was here. And why are you trying to say no? It's really another way. They're trying to erase me, Sean. You you and I both know it. Is that what's going that's on? It. My my legacy here in Detroit is being erased, and that's that's the real reason. Uh, behind all the anger and animus. Um, I don't know. I mean, l- listen, for me, honestly, I, you know, I have no skin in the game. I'm not a Lions fan. I'm not from Detroit or Michigan. No, this isn't about being a Lions fan. It's about you, Carlos Menares, putting yourself out there and definitively saying, this is how it was here. And now some new people, interloper people, 
that are just coming in nationally <laughs> trying to say that. You know what? Did you ever see the movie Ratatouille? Oh, of course, yeah. Okay, and Ratatouille, I don't know. Our, our producer's probably a little too young for Ratatouille. By the way, we got to get Tad Davis to, to, to say some words one of these weeks. He can't keep lurking in the silence <laughs> like that, man. It's, it's making me uncomfortable. We'll, we'll have him on one day with special guest. Okay, yeah, well, well, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get Tad to tell us a little bit about his life and how he ended up with these two, you know, with us, couple of couple of bozos. In any case, in Ratatouille, real quickly, there's a you know about a rat who wants to be a chef. There's a restaurant that had been suffering, and the rat comes in and helps save the restaurant. They have these big crowds again, and the reviewer, this the critic, the critic in all of Paris, the most powerful critic, finds out that they're starting to get lines at the restaurant again, and he flips out. And he said, wait a second, I wrote the last word about that restaurant, and I left it to the dustbin of history. How come it's succeeding when I said it sucked? That was the, the basic point of Ratat- in that section of Ratatouille, right? I feel like that's what's going on with you. You said Matthew Stafford's not a playoff-caliber quarterback, and he had plenty to win with the Lions. And here comes Mr. Peter King, right, saying, this guy's going to win an MVP, and the Rams are going to win the Super Bowl. And you're like, No. I said what I said, and he's undermining me. Is that what's going on? No, not at all. I, you know, the thing, the thing with Stafford, and let's not forget this. I mean, when he was in Detroit, oh, there were plenty of national writers, including I'm sure Peter King and other people who came through here, you know, who spend a few days in Detroit in training camp, whatever, sitting down with coaches and the GMs, and they wrote great things about Stafford. How this was the year with Calvin Johnson, and he had some really good years with Calvin Johnson. And now they have Indominus and Sue and a great defense. And, and this is the team. Now they're going to win the division. And they're going to, you know, uh, superlatives are not new for Stafford, whether he was in Detroit or L.A. Um, I just think that it's such a, uh, it's, I mean, the NFL is a big commercial. In fact, even that the HBO Hard Knocks thing is like actually literally almost a, com- a commercial for the NFL and their teams. You hate the NFL is what I, you're saying. I don't say hate it, the NFL. You're so powerful and, and, and uh, say what you say in your column. Say it here. Come on, man. No, no, I don't hate the NFL. It's just, it's a big show, which is great. I, I th- listen, per, the performance of it, the, the, the spectacular, you know, uh, spectacular atmosphere of it it gets everybody excited it's great there's just so much hype behind it you know and the nfl is just all about hype and this is the stafford rams thing is all about hype um hey listen if he i will be the first one to write a column and say that i was wrong that stafford was wronged all these years he wasn't supported correctly you know all this stuff it was the lions who held him back um i've watched enough football you know stafford play enough football that you know, he he was a good quarterback. He was not a terrible quarterback. Yeah, playoff caliber quarterback. He can get you to the playoffs. Is he going to make the difference in a playoff game? Unfortunately, he didn't. But I think just this whole thing of MVP, Offensive Player of the Year, you know, uh, Super Bowl. I don't know. Super Bowl is a team thing. I mean, it, it could happen. They have an amazing defense. But um, I don't know. It just seems really... It seems a little odd, you know, when you have people like Aaron Rodgers out there. The Bucks are probably a better overall team. I mean, everybody can make their their call. Every Peter King can have his opinion, but it's not apparently not. Well, 
We've been spending. He can. We've talked for ten minutes he about can be how wrong. no, only only you can make the call. No, no, no. He can. You can have your opinion. You can be wrong, but you can have your opinion. So, um, I, I I'm curious just to see how this is gonna. If this actually does play out, I am curious. I in a way, I'd like to see it because as the Rams, if this is true and the Rams get rolling and win the Super Bowl and all you know all these playoff wins or whatever, Stafford's Stafford's amazing. Just how would how would it feel in Detroit to see that? Because that's a different circumstance than Verlander. Okay, good. Let's let's answer that because we're we're gonna need a whole lot more time to fork your inner demons out, and we we'll we'll do that as we get through, you know, as we as we get more into the podcast. But I would say, it, is it is it is it therapy or an exorcism? Which one uh, is it? Probably both. I would say both, okay. I would say real quickly that uh, it'll be split. I mean, there are plenty of people that didn't like Stafford because he didn't win, or for whatever the reason, and they don't want to see him succeed because there are people like that in the world, right? You don't want to ever see anybody have any kind of joy. But I would bet a, a lot of the fans, maybe uh, the majority of the fans, are going to be sort of happy to, that he secret, maybe not even secretly, openly happy to see him succeed. I, I really believe that. There are plenty of people that, you know, they feel a certain way about the Lions and they're not laying it all at his feet. So I would bet it'd be split. Okay. Okay. That's fair. I, although, if, if you, here's the other thing. If he does, because there's a lot of, right, there's your Stafford fans, right? A ride or die, they're going to be Stafford fans no matter what, no matter who he plays for. That's one. There's going to be people who are just Lions fans and they support the jersey. Once you're gone, you're gone. You're not part of the team and we don't really root for you anymore. But then there's a whole segment of Lions fans who hate the Fords and blame everything on ownership. And if Stafford wins, they're going to blame the Fords. They're going to say, see, it was terrible ownership. That was the problem. So I, I am curious to see how it plays out. Yeah, no, I am too. And it, it's. It, if the Lions are as bad as a lot of folks think they will be, we're going to need some kind of other interesting storylines to follow, right? And fans are going to, you know, for sure want to see how that goes. But uh, look, man, I uh, I think we've we spent enough time with you on the couch here. I'm happy to have you back. Uh, maybe we can make this a weekly session, right? We'll, we'll call it Carlos's uh, Carlos's d- demon exercising or something. I don't know. We'll, we'll come up with a better title than that. But let's take uh, one more break here before we come back and wrap up the show with uh we're gonna a, a little bit of a tribute to a a local um a local restaurateur and then we'll mention our favorite thing and uh and wrap this up we'll be right back hey my name is dave boucher and i'm a government and politics reporter for the detroit free press in the past year we've brought you the impact of the 2020 general election and debunked mountains of misinformation all the while we continue to delve into the policies and politics driving the fight against covid19 There's never been a more critical time to produce reliable information while holding the powerful accountable. But we can't do that alone. By subscribing to the Free Press, you're supporting quality local journalism that creates a stronger community for everyone. And it's never been easier to join. For just $1, you'll get six months of full digital access to all of my work, along with excellent coverage on autos, sports, and additional topics chronicled by my wonderful colleagues here at the Detroit Free Press. To learn more, head to Freep.com dot com slash special offer thank you welcome back to free press sports with carlos and sean carlos uh we had a couple of well a lot of loss in the in the world uh you know we've had some some tough times in a lot of ways and uh, i don't want to bring it down to just a couple of people here in this in this podcast but uh we we lost um greg mudge who owned mudgy's deli and the amazing thing about him well there were several things he i mean forget for a second the fact that 
he made fantastic food and had a, a deli that was in an area of Corktown that uh, was pretty quiet and kind of was the hub and, and really helped build up that neighborhood. But what I, what I, Carlos, found fascinating about about Mudge, about Greg, is that I remember when he was working uh, as a server at McNally's at the same deli when it was called McNally's before he bought it and changed his name and kind of reinvented a little bit. And he was, uh, he probably was in his 20s then because it was almost 20 years ago. And I was working downtown all the time on the news side. And a group of us used to go to the deli regularly, every couple of weeks probably. And he would uh, he would come over and take your order. Sometimes he'd sit down and he was really um, yeah, sarcastic, is, is maybe right? And he, he had an edge to him. And it wasn't quite like the soup Nazi, but you, <laughs> you felt like you were going to spar a little bit, right? When you were sitting down to... Or when he would sit down and order, and you you were thinking, "Oh, am I going to order the wrong thing or whatever?" And you felt like you were going to get judged for your choices. It was sort of playful, but maybe he wasn't quite, you know. But maybe not, and so you, he kind of kept you on your toes. But he was memorable. Well, in any case, he after working there for a while in that role, he eventually had the opportunity to to buy it and take over. And and uh, as he grew a little bit older and grew in the position, and all of a sudden now he's the owner, he became this this uh, figure in that neighborhood and in that place and just this uh, beacon of warmth, you know, and he still had that kind of wit about him and so forth. But as he, as he grew into that, he just, he just um, really affected a lot of people. I, I don't know if you've ever been in that deli or know anybody that has been in that deli, but just the, the arc of his career, um, which was cut way too short. He was, I think, 46 uh, when he died a few days ago, but just but just the, the the arc of where he went and his journey was really really something. Yeah, he you know I, I never got the chance to to meet him. Um, I can't remember. I don't think I'd been to Mudge's Deli, but my my wife used to work downtown and and she would go and you know she used to work at at uh, the Detroit News, so they would go down same same as you. They'd walk across you know the seventy five or. You know the freeway and, and go hang out in Corktown there and yeah he was a quirky guy I'd sit down with you start talking and and in the in the obit that we had in the free press uh they talked to one of his really close friends and uh, she's a manager at the deli now Melissa McNabb and she said he had this way of making you instantly feel familiar like you had known him forever upon first meeting and, and you know I think we've all come across you know a Greg Mudge that way like somebody who's you know in, intertwined with the fabric of their community, their business, and they have this ease about them of connecting with people. And it's always sad when you lose, even even though I didn't know him, to think that there were so many people like you, like my wife, who who connected with him and felt welcomed and a place to, you know, to get food and share meals and talk about food. Um, it, it's it's a it's a deep loss for for his family, but for the community as well. It, it sure is. And again, I think we can, most of us can relate to this, this idea that you're, you're trying to figure out who you are in your twenties. Right. And he knew, and he knew to some degree, but just the, the, the evolution of that persona, that personality, I mean, the, those elements we saw and what, what you were talking about that was in the obit, that's always, that was always there, but just as you get older and you change and you, you figure out how to be more comfortable with who you are. And, and then you have uh, parts of your life that you get, you there more, there's more expectation placed on you and you, you kind of lean into that responsibility and then figure out and then do the creative process. It's just, I just, I really admire that. And, um, and you're right. It was a, a huge, huge loss. And in any case, I, uh, I just wanted to 
pay a, a quick respect before we get to the, our close of the show, which is Carlos is dubbed my favorite thing. And I'm still, Carlos, amazed that you have a favorite thing. Oh, you're going to love it. But go ahead. Okay, Sean. Well, uh, you wanted to get our producer, Tad Davis, you know, as a special guest on our, on our show. And I'm going to go about it a roundabout way, I guess, getting him on the show. Because, and I, and I promise you, I talked about our softball team, the free press softball team last week. That's my favorite thing. I'm going to do it again. But this is the last time, I promise, just because it was, it was something extraordinary that happened in the game last week. Tad Davis showed up to play in this game first time and he was playing center field and I don't know if you remember you're 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 certainly old enough to remember this from the bad news bears congratulations looks like the championships in the bag but there was a play in that in that movie where a kid you know kind of an underdog named lupus makes this incredible catch and he's out there. Nobody believes it happens. Well, Mr. Davis made such a catch. There was a the team we were playing was just they were just great hitters. They just some guy just pounded the ball out to center field. Tad drifts back, 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 back. Sticks his glove up, catches the ball, falls over on his back, sticks his glove up in the air. Everybody goes crazy. We can't believe he caught it. It was an incredible catch. But it got better. After that, Tad gets up. There was a runner on first base that everybody forgot about. <laughs> Tad gets up, throws the ball back, and it leads to a double play. I think it would have scored something like 8-6-1-3. Went back to the pitcher, went back to Jim Schaefer at first base. It was crazy. It was just one of the more joyful plays um, that I've had in a long time playing sports. Uh, it, it was just, it reminded me how much fun it was to play, you know, co-ed sports with, with your colleagues that we haven't gotten enough chances to be around because of the pandemic um and just kind of what a joyful we lost by like i said we lost by a lot but it was just so fun to be part of that experience and and tad's catch was one of my was my favorite play of the whole season did you just use the word joyful absolutely several times i am i am confused but 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 i guess pleasantly confused about that (laughs) and by the and by the way tad apparently doesn't like sports or doesn't know anything about sports or Maybe probably doesn't care about sports. I don't know. It's it's some combination. So the idea that a guy who's, I guess, never even seen or been around a baseball diamond makes a snow cone catch <laughs> and holds onto it on his back, that's pretty impressive. Oh, no. No, uh, Tad has some game. He, he he played well. He was sneaky. So so he's so he's sandbagging. Oh, he's totally sandbagging. He had his... Totally sandbagging. Yeah. No, he was... This is what I'm saying. Can we really trust somebody we can't see? Because you and I can't see him. He doesn't speak. You know, uh, he comes in occasionally to say when we're messing up or I'm, I'm messing up. It's usually me because I'm technologically a fool. But uh, can we trust this, Carlos? Seriously. Uh, oh, I'll, I'll follow him to the end of the earth after that catch. Yeah, I, I trust it. Trust him implicitly. OK, OK. Well, if, if you do, if you do, then I do. Um, I'm going to go back to uh, for my favorite thing since you're making me do it. Uh, I'm going to go. I'm going to go back to the two press conferences I was in mid Ryan Field and then at Michigan Stadium. And not just the idea of sort of being back in that space and, you know, kind of being without it and taking it for granted for so long and then being without it and realizing how much you missed it. But, but more specifically to um, to a couple of running backs, Kenneth uh, Walker III from Michigan State and Blake Corn from Michigan. And, and the, the reason I'm thinking about both of them and the reason I enjoyed seeing this so much is Kenneth Walker is a transfer from Wake Forest. 
Blake Corum is a sophomore who got some play last year, um, but nothing like he did uh, on Saturday when when Michigan beat Western Michigan. But Kenneth Walker talked about how he couldn't wait to kind of show what Michigan State had because they've got a lot, a lot of new pieces this year. And, you know, they won two games a year before, and so there are doubts. And Blake Corum talked about that they needed to make a statement. They want to make a statement. So just this – it just was a reminder, Coach, this, you know, they're 19, 20, 21. They're kids. I mean, they're young men, but they're also kids. They're both. They're still in that tween – and the pressure on them. And that they have to listen to people like us, right, question and, and say, oh, you know, you're not going to win. Just everything that goes with that. And I know there's a lot of great that goes with that, too. But sometimes we forget that. And so to be right next to him, especially Kenneth Walker was right next to him, a little, a little further away from Blake Corum, the room was bigger. But to be in that space and to, and to see that, not relief, but that joy, speaking of joy, all that work, all this time, all these months of no expectation or coming off of bad years for both of them, and I know it's just one game when I'm going to get carried away, but just to, in that moment to see how it felt for them and have them both perform the way they did. I mean, we're not supposed to root for people, but on some level they're human beings, and these are young ones. And uh, I, I really, really enjoyed watching that and having that reminder. Yeah, we do we do lose sight of it sometimes of what it means to them. And and and, and honestly, a lot of these guys, you know, I mean, they're not gonna they're not gonna play in the NFL, you know, or they won't play long if they even play there. Um, this could be it for them. So, you know, enjoying that experience, you know, when you've had a difficult, you know, year like last year, you know, athletically for them, it is, it is nice to see people, you know, all that, all that hard work, you know, pay off, come to fruition. So it's a nice start for, for both, for both teams. Well, I, uh, I appreciate that. And I, uh, enjoyed listening to your, my favorite thing. And Carlos, this has been fun again. Um, I feel like, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll find a rhythm at this. We just got to get Tad to join us at some point instead of creeping around with marionette strings. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, you got to you got to get over the the name. You got to get the you got to get the name right, Sean. Let's start with the beginning, the little things. No, I will I will figure that out. And uh, one of these days, I'm going to figure you out. We're going to spend a little bit more time on the couch. I probably next week, so we'll have that to look forward to. In any case, uh, Carlos, that's our show for this week. Uh, we want to thank everybody for joining us, and hope to see you next week. Our producer is Tad Davis, and one of these days he will talk. Right, Carlos? Right. Seriously? Hopefully. Okay. Our executive producers are Kirkland Crawford and Anjanette Delgado, and Peter Batia is our executive editor. I know that sounds confusing. Let's just say he's the big guy. Without him, we're not here. If you like the show, leave a rating, subscribe, or share it. It really helps new listeners find the show, and we'll see you next week.